Guess who's back? Today, I catch up with Calvin Chilchik, the head of Cub Sydney and our first fill-in host for Catching Up With Cub. In today's episode, I share a personal story that explains why I have been unable to work or, of course, host the podcast over the past couple of months and why it's important to have a strong team to catch you when you fall. I share insights into my thoughts on Cub as a company and our strategy and greatest lessons in leadership and team culture creation. It's a special episode today. I hope you enjoy the show. So who's actually interviewing who today? Am I going to interview you? Are you going to interview me? Or are we having a conversation? Well, I did text you that asking you that question last night and you left me on red. So yeah, I know, because I thought it'd sure. be a good way to start the episode. <laughs> but uh, actually, probably what is a good way to start is uh, for me thanking you for, for uh, filling in while I was, while I was out. But, but really, I, I want to share with, the, with our listeners why I was out, um, because uh, not working is, is certainly something I hate doing, but... Um, in life, things happen, uh, and and you know, and if you're lucky, you have a strong team and a strong business that's able to help you in those times. But um, for the listeners who most of you wouldn't know, but my mother's very very sick at the moment. In fact, she's in palliative care, um, fighting uh, for her life um, from stage four colon cancer, and she she's been fighting for over a year or a year and a half. And and three months ago, uh, we had. Uh, very bad news in that basically the, the doctors said that they, they're not able to do anything anymore to help her. Um, and that, so essentially it's terminal and that she's in palliative care now. And, um, of, you know, nothing prepares you for that, but, but I had a decision to make, which was, you know, how am I going to handle this? And, and I thought the best way for me to handle it was to make my mum my job in the sense and, and, uh, not work and to work on trying to save mum and trying to find alternative treatments and trying to lift spirits and, and provide hope. And and um, actually, you know, a lot of the stuff that I've learned with Cub over the past eight and a half years helped with, uh, you know, a lot of leading the family in, in a lot of times and senses in doing that. And in the midst of all of this, I also got married. <laughs> so to our listeners, uh, that that's why I haven't uh, been working and, and why Calvin uh, has filled in with filled in for me in terms of the podcast. But to be honest, uh, I'm so blessed to have such a beautiful team at Cub um, that they filled in for me across the board. And and the company actually think Cub did better without me, which I think is a testament to our team. Um, and they've they've given me the gift of spending uh, as much time with my mum uh, as I can. Uh, I thought we're still in it for the win. By no means are we stopping fighting or going out. We, are, in, in my eyes, um, our family's still going, and 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 mum's doing well, and and that despite what the doctors and stuff say. Um, but but yeah, that's why I haven't been here. And and I think I mean a good place to start today's conversation would be would be the fact that you know shit happens in life, and horrible things happen, big and small. This is kind of the biggest, but but big and small, and and that's part of business. And to create a a business that survives the test of time, or that that you know, today I recorded an episode with, with our member Andrew Robertson, uh, who's been in business fifty years. His company you know, for a business to survive that long, it needs to be able to handle um, personal crises 
from the leadership, from the founder, but also from the team members because, you know, something horrible is going to happen to everyone. Like it's, it's kind of sad to say, but, but that is going to happen. And I think what saved us as a company is the fact that we're such a strong team. We're all friends. We've got really personal relationships with each other and no one ever, I, I think, I mean, maybe do you want to share from the team's perspective kind of what was going on and yeah, I mean, for, firstly, I want to say, you know, great, great to hear that that your mum's in good spirits and, and great to have you back. And, and secondly, what what a wedding it was. You know, we all got together and, and celebrated and, yeah, it was an incredible, incredible day. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think from our point of view, we, we kind of quickly, we quickly understood, uh, you know, especially the leadership team that, you know, you had to do what you had to do to support your family. And for us, the, the best thing that we could do to support you was keep Cub going. So I think, you know, like you mentioned there, we're, we're all very close as a leadership team as a, and as a team in general. And I think the fact that it was it was well communicated, you know, everybody knew what, what was going on. Um, and, and we rallied together as a leadership team to say, you know, as emotional as this is for everybody, we need, we need to stay strong. And the most important thing that we can do here is do our jobs and do it well. And I think you know, credit to everybody because I think that, that, that very much happened. And yeah, it's, it's interesting when, when you're kind of, um, I suppose when your leader is, isn't there anymore, you know, you're always the one at a, at a high level kind of steering the ship. Um, when you're not there, it, it, it gives an opportunity for other people to step up. And I think, you know, we've seen that in a big way, obviously Anthony's taken, you know, a very big step up and kind of been looking over the team as a whole, Myself and Holly, you know, as, as club heads, kind of. Um, I think everyone's taking a step up. Yeah, everybody, everybody, yeah. and so and so, you know, like like you said, from a from a business point of view, I think it's a it's a credit to you that you've put those people in place. Um, but then also us getting the opportunity to show what we're made of, in a sense, um, I think has made this year a very successful one from a business standpoint. Well, yeah, particularly from a team standpoint. My old man always used to say, it's good for you to go on a holiday as the leader because when you go on a holiday, um, um, it gives people room to grow. Like it, it lets people, they, they can't ask you the question, they, they can't get the answer easily, you know, so they, they're forced to grow, they're forced to remember and this was kind of that situation except for an ugly, non-happy version of a holiday and, and a long one. But, you know, in terms of the business and its strength, I think it actually gave the business – I think it actually made the business stronger in that um, – and, and also was evidence that we're doing a great job as a team because even when I'm not able to be there, um, the company was operating, I mean, the same if not better as, as when I was there. I also think it's a great lesson for any leader – or business owner is that when something bad happens to one of your team members, you know, make sure that you give them full support and that you're there for them and they don't have to worry about their job or anything like that. You know, you, you let them resolve that problem because you know, the situation might happen when, and hopefully it doesn't, but the situation might happen when something bad happens to you. And, and when that does, you, you know, you, that's what you want others to do back to you. you know, it's kind of, what's that saying? Treat others how you'd want to be treated mm -hmm. or treated yourself. I think that's a really important lesson and, 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 and a big lesson for me was 
It's so important to have personal relationships between team members. They need to really care about each other because when they care about each other, they can help each other through life's problems. And that's one big thing I have against work from home. You know, it's like, you, you don't, it's hard to care about each other. It's hard to even speak to you, let alone see you. And I look at screens all day. I don't want to look at another screen just to say hi to someone, you know, like that's hard. But I feel when humans are together, they're talking, they're sitting together, they're accomplishing a goal together, they're working together. I think that you, you and you're socializing together. Mm-hmm. I think you do bond and, and, and that those bonds, I think really create, um, a robust company that can withstand the pitfalls of life and, and that they do happen, you know? Yeah, no, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And that was a point that I was going to touch on as well. I think the fact that we are all as close as we are and, and, you know, with yourself and, and with Alice included, when we hear these types of things happen, it, it feels personal, you know, it doesn't just feel like, you know, I oh know my boss is going through something like l- let him deal with it. It feels much more personal. You know, every day the team's asking, you know, How's Dan's family? How's Dan? How's Alice? How's Thomas? Um, it, it makes it a lot closer to home. And I think because of that, the effort that goes into ensuring that things are, are running the way they're supposed to be running is, is, is far higher. What do you think it is that I do or that we do as a leadership team that creates that culture? Because it doesn't matter who you speak to. Anybody that comes across Cub team or Cub in general, the first thing they ever mention is you have the best team. Your team is impeccable. They, they have so much ownership over what they do. Like our team is number one. What do you think it is that, that, that we've done that's created that? Well, I think, I think first and foremost, we, we all, I think we know what type of person needs to be part of our team. I think that's, that's, a, that's a blatantly kind of obvious, you know, if you look across the team, everybody's quite similar in, in ways. And so then when you bring in people that fit that mold, everybody then in turn you know, gets along, there's commonalities. So I think that in itself creates an environment where we are able to all be close because we all have a lot in common. Um, But I think, you know, if you look at our principles, our team principles, belief, ownership, support, I think everybody embodies those principles in in a big, big way. And I think the fact that we allow ownership, but ownership in a way where people have to do the job. The fact that we support each other as much as we do. Um, and the fact that we believe in the, in the ultimate goal, everybody kind of fits those three principles in, in such a big way. Um, yeah, that, well, I mean, you just highlighting the importance of values, team values, because really we're also one of the most diverse teams. Um, it, you know, we got people from Germany and everywhere. I don't know. We got, I just really just mentioned Laura there, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but anyway, we're a very diverse team, but, but everyone fits the values, you know, and, and we know those values. Like we know who, like, you know, when you meet someone, you're like, okay, they, they would do well at Cal. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I, there, there is that element of understanding and uh, that element of understanding. But also I like what you're saying is that you're right. We, we give people ownership over what they do, but with ownership comes responsibility. Mm-hmm. Meaning like, okay, we'll give you the ownership, but you need to deliver. You need to do well. Um, and of course you need to support people, make sure they do well, but 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 with with freedom, like by stepping back, you, you need to make you need to make, that person needs to know like this is a responsibility. I'm, I I I want to do well. Like I, I want to do well in life, and I think that's a trait um, of our people. The other thing I think every business should remember, every business owner, is that it starts with you. How you treat people 
and how you react and respond and how you talk, it just flows through the company. You know, I, I, I really do believe company culture starts with the, whether it be the CEO or the owner or whoever it is, and then it's echoed through the leadership team. And it, it just, it's, it's got to start somewhere. They're at the waterfall. And if, if you want, you, you need to act how you want your team to act in, in, in the sense. And like one of the things that like particularly I do that I love doing, it doesn't even, it's not even work. I just enjoy doing it, but I think it has tremendous effect and I never mention it or uh, like it's not a systemized or anything, but I call every team member so often, like it's by so often, maybe like monthly or something mm -hmm. like that, just to talk. Like they, they're sometimes like, oh, why are you calling me? Like, you know, just uh, so, you know, t tell me more. What else? You know, you can get a lot from asking from just a casual conversation with a team member. How are you? How's your, how's your life? How's your boyfriend? You know, how's your relationship? Like, how are your family? Are you enjoying your apartment? Like you need to, I don't know if it's legal to probe, but you, you need to, you need to know what's going on in someone's life because only when you know what's going on in their life, can you help them through those problems and can you help them resolve them? And, and from the team member's perspective, they're thinking, wow, this person really cares about me. You know, this person's got, this person is interested in me outside of what I contribute to the, to the company. This person is interested in my life. And, and if they're interested in my life, you know, like it, it creates that relationship between that person. They're less likely to leave mm -hmm. the company. And more so, I like to really have that, my finger on the pulse of the entire team because you need to know ooh, who's, who's a little less happy than who, who, if this person were to leave, what would happen to that person? Like, you, know, you really do need to know as, a, as the owner and as a leader, you need to, you need to have your tentacles everywhere because you need, it's a, it is a house of cards, you know, and you need to make sure that this wall, ooh, it's a bit weak. We need to put some reinforcement there. And so that, and the only way you're going to know that is by speaking to your people regularly on a, on a casual basis. And the other benefit to it is that they, they know you care, like you're, you're helping them with whatever you can. And yeah. that, I, I really love that. I th really think that's a key thing that, that, I mean, particularly I do, but, but I'm sure that our leadership team does too. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think there's also the, what I find a lot of the time, I think there's a big respect piece there as well. I think when you look at each person and what they deliver, the, the respect, it, it, there's almost like a knock-on effect of that respect. So, you know, everybody respects you because they see the work and the effort that you put in and then that trickles down to the next person and the next person and the next person. And so when that underlying respect is there, I've always found like b because we're so close, sometimes those lines can get blurred, you know, between friend and colleague. But... I find the way to navigate that best is to ensure that there's always that respect there. And how do you ensure that there's always that respect there? Each person has to show up and deliver every single day. Um, and I think that that, that compounding effect trickling down through each person means that we can be as close as we are, but we also know that the person next to us is going to deliver. And I think that that is what makes our team so great. If I look at every single person, I, I have no worries that, you know, they're going to deliver, they're going to do the job. But it's a good point. Like, um, where's the line in terms of relationship with your team? And I just think that there's there's a time and a place. Like, you could be friends with your team. That's fine. You you are friends. You do care about them. But at work, in the office, or in work time, or when, whenever we're working on anything, 
it's work. It's different. We're, we're in a different zone. You know, it's a different field. Right now we're working. We, you know, there's, there's hierarchy and there's all sorts of things that are happening when you, for a company to function correctly. We're at work. We're doing that. But, you know, you might be at a team lunch and dinner and everyone's just talking shit and having a laugh. Like it's a different environment. You know, I think it's really good for, for teams to, to understand when you're at work, you're at work. When you're not at work, you're not at work. And, and I love that the theory that teams are kind of like families, but that you can choose who's in your family. Mm-hmm. You know, with a family, you've got a shit brother or cousin or whatever. Like you're stuck with them. They're, they're, they're always there. But in a team, if someone isn't contributing or attempting or trying to contribute and, and fulfilling their purpose amongst the team, a purpose that makes us all stronger as a whole, if they're not doing that, well, they, they, they're not on the team anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I think, and, and that is respect. It's respect for, for the team, respect for the company, and also respect for the person, for themselves. Cause it's like, like our team's a hyper ambitious team. Everyone wants to be part of building something really special. It's kind of like part of the attraction of it. And, and you, your, your full-time job is basically hanging out with people who are doing stuff special. Mm-hmm. So we, by nature, have very ambitious people on the team who want to work really hard because they want to do well. So we don't so much have a problem with it. But how quickly do you notice when someone at Cub joins a team who doesn't share that? Within five yeah, minutes. Yeah, they're like yeah. a sore thumb. Yeah. You, they stick out straight away. And and what this, you know, I mean, that brings up a whole nother can of worms, which is do you want everyone to ambitious? Because the ambition also causes issues for a team. You know, do you need a balance? Do there need to be some ambitious, hyper-ambitious people and then some people that uh, want more stability, security, uh, life and job fulfillment, you know? Because if you have too many hungry people, you get asked for money all the time and everyone wants to be the next boss and, you know, like it's a, it's a juggling fest of, of, of chaos. So, you know, th- that's, th- that's, a, that's an interesting uh, balance uh, you know, a leader has to take is, is like, how do I, cause you can't also lift everyone at the same time. It doesn't work that way. Financially you're restricted, but also, um, in a sense of timing of what the company actually needs you know, a, a, and how quickly people can move up. So, you know, there's periods where one person gets lifted and then, um, um, you know, short time later, another person is lifted because that's the next focus or that, that's the next thing. But you know, as a business owner, it's hard because, you can't lift everyone at the same time. It's, it's almost impossible. And, and, you know, if people do see other people lifting, they're going to think, oh, when's my turn? You know, and, and you have to be able to explain, you know, well, to, to, to move up, we need to see this. Like there needs to be a reason for it. Yeah, I think it's also, you know, I think ambition can come in different kind of shapes and sizes. And I think it's about you as, as the leader kind of, sitting with each person, identifying what that ambition actually looks like. Cause you know, not every person's ambition is going to be, as you said, to be the boss. Great point. You know, never but, assume, you know, what someone wants. And, and that's it. And I think, I think at times even they don't know what they want, you know, and I think it's about getting to know that person well enough so that you then dissect what that looks like and then helping them map towards that. And so I think they can have ambitions in many different places, but you've got to identify what that looks like and then help them get there. You know what time that, that struck me, like that, that lesson is like never assume what someone else wants. I learned that oh, so long ago in, when Melbourne first opened, I was interviewing people and um, I switched it. Instead of saying, this is what the role, the, this is what the role 
uh, this is what we're offering, this is what the role is paying, whatever. I switched it to, you know, so what are your ex salary expectations? And more often or not, the salary expectation was less than like what you had in your head and like that sounds like uh, sneaky, but it's not sneaky at all because you're, you know, the company needs to be financially responsible where, where it can. But the point is like, so I would encourage all business owners to always say, what is your salary expectations as opposed to this is what, and then if they say something ridiculous, like anyone under the age of 25 does, just ask them to leave. <laughs> just ask them to leave. But, but, but you know, you can't assume what someone wants. You really should ask. And as a leader, I think like if someone looks happy, ask them if they're not. If someone um, looks unhappy, ask them why. Like you, you, you really need to be I, – I think what I'm trying to say is just hyper-communication with your team. Mm. I, I don't think anything bad comes from it. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, um, yeah, it's 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 a really interesting kind of balance when you you know you've got all these different people, all these different personalities, and then trying to understand not not only like what their ambitions are and how to map towards that, but also how to manage them as well. You know, each person's. I feel like you've got to approach each person differently. Like, you know, one person in my team, I'm a bit competitive with because I know that that gets her going. The other other one. You know, I know enjoys compliments, you know, I know that gets her going. So, you know, there's different kind of um, different styles for different people. And, and the only way that you find that is through communication. So, yeah, it, it is the most important thing. Mm. We're at a funny stage now as a company, aren't we? Because we're big but not big. We're established but need to, need to grow. You don't need to expand. We've got the best team ever, a strong team. Can we expand and continue that strength of team? You know, we've never done that before. Like, it's a really interesting time. Like, I think it's a, I think it's a great time because, yeah, as a business, you have to balance growth and security. Like, basically, company safety, making sure that your people that the company is going to survive. If you grow too much, you risk safety. If you too safe you lose opportunity. And so like there's this, there's this fine line. And, and when we opened Melbourne, it was too fast. We thought we were doing great because we were making, you know, a lot of people were joining Cup and a lot of members were asking, you know, oh, it'd be great if you had a place in Melbourne. I want to expand to Melbourne. I'd love to meet people there and utilize the clubhouse and whatever. But Melbourne was such a grind. We were so quick. We, we took one great team and we split into two bad teams Um and we didn't have any operations. We had very poor systems of, of servicing our clients. And so after Melbourne, and it took many years to like to fix that. You know, it took many years to, to, to resolve that. And after that, I really learned. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to pull the trigger early again. Like I, I, got, I actually got to be gun shy. It was more now it's like I'm only growing when I'm sure we are ready to grow. And, you know, so how many times have people been asking us to open Brisbane and open Parramatta and open, like, we know they want it. But I learned when people asked, and for Melbourne, people were asking, I was like, oh, I better give it to them. You know, I learned that doesn't matter anymore. What matters is the company's timing and security. And now, you know, now we've got a war chest of, 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 of cash. We've got a strong team that we've got spare players for and a leadership team that can go launch things. We've got a brand that people in different states know and that people would buy into if we let them. And, you know, now you, 
we're at that position where it's time to grow um, and we need to because we we are the best networking business. We're the, we're the best premium business networking uh, platform and company in the country and we need to be in every market. We're only in Sydney and Melbourne, you know. We need to be in Brisbane immediately. Uh, we need to be in Perth, Adelaide and Canberra too, but but Brisbane controlling the, the three or being present, sorry, I should say, in in the three major cities is is essential for us, and 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 um, that's the next goal for us. Can we expand while maintaining our current strength of culture, team, service, you know, all these things? And this is this is something that 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 every company that's successful enough to grow has to kind of look at. So, so from your point of view. How, how do you see that? You know, how do you see the kind of, you know, when, when I look at you, a lot of the time I look at you as the, the, the person who's obviously focusing on the macro, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to carb, the strategy, the growth, the scalability, how, how do you see that right now? Uh, like in terms of strategy as a business, what's the, the next best steps for us? Yeah, what's the next steps? What, 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 is, what is the next kind of progression for us? Obviously, like you said, we've now come to a point where, you know, the operations are secure, the team's secure, we've got a great brand name. How are we now going to progress to the next phase? Well, it, it's a, for me, again, it's a question of security and, 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 and growth. So how to make us stronger and safer as a company? Well, two things. One is we need to be – basically, it's expansion. We need to be in new markets. So, sorry, new geographic markets. So uh, Brisbane, Perth, and Parramatta. Gold Coast, even like these are the, the these will make us stronger. Like, look at COVID. When COVID happened, Melbourne basically just had to shut. Mm. Sydney was open most of the time, but if we had Perth and Brisbane, we would have had two clubs operating full capacity, no problems, one hundred percent. So, geographic um, diversity is, is crucial in business. So, and it's also our best way to grow because we're full. We can't barely take any members. Well, really, Sydney can't, shouldn't be taking any members, and in, in, in Melbourne barely. So we can't really grow as a company because we're full. We can't. We're, our clubs are maxed. Brisbane is the essential next step for that. So there's, I guess, diversity in geography. The other two problems we have, though, and this is being very open for to all this, but I don't give a fuck. I, don't, I always thought if someone, if someone could do what I do, then they'd fucking do it. You know, like, and, and the other thing I learned at the start of Cub, like I was always scared of giving people documents and our operations and things. But if you're really great at what you do, you're always changing your operations and improving them. By the time that person had the courage to actually start it and do it and copy the operations, yours are completely different anyway. So, so I am just going to say what's on my head. But um, the other big problem we have, we only serve one mark. Cub's a premium product. So we only serve like really a, a accomplished entrepreneurs and business owners that are eligible for membership and that will pay $10,000 per $9,900 per annum um, to be involved in the club. That's also risky because we have no diversity of our, of our market and we have also no diversity of our product. So, um, so looking at how to diversify our market and also how to diversify our product is something that's really important to me. That's why Boa exists. You know, but now, Bowler was affected by me not working because unlike Cub, it doesn't have the human capital behind it pushing it. It's a baby. It's part of Cub, but it is its own baby little startup in the sense because we're, we're doing something new and we're, we're investing a tremendous amount of money and we've taken investment from from many of our members. Um, but so Boa didn't um, – Boa did suffer from me not working because, you know, you need to be there. That, that's, that was supposed to be my focus. 
But Bowler is entering a new market. Bowler is either free or very cheap. And it's a very a free or very cheap way for business owners to grow their network, seek support and advice and learn from each other. The same thing Cub does, but just cheaper and more accessible. You know, there's a lot of bar- barriers to entrance for Cub. There's price, geography, time, eligibility. Like there's a lot of things that could prevent someone from, from getting involved. With Bowler, we wanted to take away those barriers to entry. We wanted it to be the most accessible, uh, an accessible way for people to expand their network, find support in business and grow. And that enters, that puts us into a new market. We can now serve the new businesses of which there were like 400,000 last year or something like that. So, um, um, we can not just serve a new market and, and, and also create a financially successful business from them, but it makes Cub more, uh, it gives us more security because uh, if the premium market failed, which look, I don't think it would because we're not so premium anyway that like it, it's still so cheap for our members and value for money, what we give is ridiculous. So so I don't think it would, but regardless of that, you still want to be safer. So you, you want to create a product that's, serves a new market. Uh, so you want to expand what we're existingly good at, which is open more clubhouses in more cities. And you want to expand the market that you serve through a more accessible platform, uh, which is Boa. And that, that's really what we have to do now. We're the best at what we do. And I think that's what we did well. And, you know, while I am sitting here saying that we're weak in the sense that we're singular in our markets and revenue and product, that's why we're the best at what we do because we only did one thing for one group of people at one price that, you know, like it was, it was so singular that we, we were able to be so good at it that, that, that it made us so strong and so financially strong that we can then do new things and do them in a manner that's safe for the company. It doesn't put the company in financial risk or jeopardy in any way whatsoever. If anything, it's going to be a great addition to the company because you're going to serve a new market. You're going to have a huge, database of business owners um, um, and, and with with numbers, which we're not able to have a cub. Cub, you can have at whatever, 1,200 or so or 3,000, 5,000, you get to maybe 10,000. But, but with a platform like Boa, you could have millions. And when you have millions, it gives you more ability to serve those people because you can go to companies like banks and, I don't know, telcos and airlines and hotels and, and governments and, and, you know, they can give you great deals that you can pass on to those. To, to those, there's a lot of benefits to numbers. So, I think rowing's good, but but that's where we are. But and, but to make that, po- there's one thing saying it. It sounds easy to do, but actually making things possible is hard because to make things possible, you need people to do it, and you can't hire new people. Well, I mean, you know me, I don't like to. So you can't hire new people because you want to expand using people that you already have that understand the company, the culture. And you, you basically, you want to send disciples to go spread the word of God. Um, um, or in your case, <laughs> Hashem. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It, and, and so to do that, you need to, to do that, you need to um, lift people. You know, I can't be, or I can't only focus on cub. Therefore, Who's going to take over me to, to look at Cub? If that person starts looking over Cub completely, who's going to move up to do the roles that they were doing? And then if those next people, you know, so by by moving forwards yourself and focusing onto new things, you're forcing the entire company to move forwards with you and to move up the ranks. Um, and, and I think that's really important. You should always be looking at, like I'm always thinking, how can I make myself redundant? 
in what I'm currently doing now? And by doing so, what would be the most important thing that I can focus on? And the most important thing I can focus on right now is not even our geographic expansion. You know, I purposely have now Anthony freed up as the head of Cub and, you know, he's responsible for the expansion. Um, Alice, who runs all our operations, she's free for the expansion. She's responsible, sorry, she's available to, to go and assist with that expansion and to help recruit and set up the ops and Anthony gets the sales going and hires the, the right people. You know, like it's, it's we've got a, a launch team in a sense for Cub that can do that. But when it comes to new ventures like BOA or new, completely new products, I guess, you need to do that yourself because you need to know it. You need to learn it. You need to be there. You need to, you know, like at the start of Cub, I was the sales, the service, the waiter and the, you know, you, you want to learn all more. And I was never the events manager because I wasn't organized enough and we never hosted. <laughs> it's just kind of walk in and meet who you meet. But, but, um, but I, you know, you need to focus on the new things. They're, they're important. And I think the most important thing for us outside of geographic expansion is market expansion. And I think that's, that's, that's how people should look at their business. How am I making this as strong as possible for myself, for my team, um, and for my clients? But really, it's for yourself and your team. Like, your team want progression. They want growth, so you need growth. But also, they want jobs. They want to make sure that, you know, their job's not going anywhere the next time the economy fucking has a swift, uh, you know, swift breeze. Like, the, you know, we love Spotify, but Spotify just laid off 1,500 people. The banks just laid off tons of people, financial institutions laid off all these people. Tech companies have been laying them off for the past two years because they were so, you know, overstaffed. But these companies aren't silly. They know bad economy's coming. They just also know that they can't fire everyone they need to fire at the same time because the company might fall over. So they need to do it in waves, you know. So that's why you always hear in the media, first wave of banking, um, uh, they don't call them fires, but whatever, removal of staff or whatever the fuck they call it. Layoffs. Layoffs, that's it. You know, the first the first round, they call it, round of layoffs, just uh, whatever bank just laid off a 1,000 people, whatever bank just laid off second round of, you know, they do that because they know that's how they have to cut their costs. They can't do it all at once. Um, and the benefit, I think, of people that work with uh, uh, SMEs like, like, like us and our members is that we're already operating lean. You know, so people's job-wise are safer because not only are you operating lean, but you have a relationship with the leadership and with the owner. You think the CEO of some big corporation cares about you when you're working there and, you, you know, you just started or even if you're in the middle, like even if you've been there 10 years, they probably don't even know who you are. You know, like, so when people, like, that's one thing that I always think is important for business owners to push is the fact that, like, working at an SME is I think there's more security, long-term security, and there's also more potential upside. Um, but you may sacrifice in the short term. You know, if I go work at uh, Apple, for, for example, me, I get, you know, I want to go get a job. Okay, Apple may pay me more than Cub and it may also, um, um, it may also give me better perks and, you know, I can work from fucking Thailand. Um, I shouldn't have used Apple because... I love Apple and we, we hear the podcast on Apple podcast, but this is just a hypothetical of Apple, but, but, you know, so it might be better in the short term being with a bigger company, but in the long term, I feel it's the SMEs 
the strong SMEs that are the best people to actually work for. And so if I was someone looking uh, for a role and for big growth and for personal growth, I'd be looking at who are the strongest SMEs that we have? Who are the SMEs that are kicking goals where I can see what they're doing? And that's where I think it's a huge, there's a huge role to play. We actually do this horribly as, at Cup. It's one of our things that I'm going to talk about in our um, strategy and quarterly meeting is that it's very important to share the journey of the business and the successes of the business on socials and on, on, on like just content and things like that because great, great people who may want to join your team can see, wow, that is a strong company. That company is going somewhere. That is the type of business that I want to be a part of because, you know, a small business is not going anywhere you definitely don't want to be part of because it's probably not good for the long term or the short term. So in that case, I'd say go to a corporate. But uh, SME, that's got plans and it's doing something and you can see there's a great team and a great leader and all that I'd be I'd do anything to jump on board with them because you know you're going to have the most career progression and, and growth and I think that as a company we need to create a lot more um you'd call it maybe employment content like a lot more employment content where people can see like meet the members of the team, uh, hear their stories of how they got to Cub and where they are now, what they love about the culture, what they think about the boss, you know, like what, how's Daniel? Like, you know, what's he like? And, you know, like just funny shit and, and, and the, our plans as a team and our progressions and our, like I think content like that is going to attract the best talent because I don't think the best talent goes to the corporates. I think it goes to the SMEs because that's where the most opportunity is. Every corporate was once an SME. And look how big they are now. So you can ride that wave or you can jump on – it's like jumping – you either jump on a company stock while it's still low and you can make all the upside or you jump on when it's already at the top and you fluctuate up and down cyclically with the economy based on whether or not they think they want you anymore or not. You know, so I don't know how I got in the rant about who people should work for, but it's, it makes sense, no? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's the exact kind of journey that I've been on. You know, I've never, I've never went into corporate. I went to two – small to medium sized businesses. Reason being there's opportunity there. You know, I always wanted to, I always wanted to grow, I always wanted to progress. And that for me, that was, that wasn't going to happen in a, in a corporate business. And if it was, it wasn't the type of environment that, that I wanted to be a part of. I wanted to be a part of something that I could have impact on directly. Yeah. Um, and so SME businesses are where you can make that happen. And tell me, so you, how long have you been head of Cub Sydney now? It's just over two years now. So, Fuck me, that went fast. <laughs> um, November 21. Um, what have you learned regarding leadership in that time? Was it as easy as you thought? No, absolutely not. I think, um, I think I was quite naive when I, when I first took over that, that role. I thought, you know, I, I, was a, I, was a, I was a great salesperson. I thought that my operating capacity was, was strong and I naively thought that I could then go in and, and start to, to lead when I had never really done that before. Um, and I think I got a pretty rude awakening pretty quickly because like you kind of touched on before, if you want to run a business, you have to know every area of that business. And I didn't. And so, you know, I'm hiring people, I'm trying to delegate tasks but I don't know how to do those tasks myself. And so then you're not the leader, you know, and, and you taught me this lesson very early on. And I think it's, it's one of the most important lessons that I've, that I've ever, I've ever kind of gotten. And the lesson was the leader is not 
something that can be given. You you can't tell people you're the leader or nobody can tell people that you're the leader. The leader is the person that everybody naturally gravitates towards when they have problems. And so when you don't have an understanding of how everything works and you can't fix the problems, people are not going to gravitate towards you and therefore you're not the leader no matter what your title is. So that was something that that I think hit me in the face pretty quickly. And so, you know, I then went on this journey to to try and and learn these different these different areas of the business. Now, some, you know, you're you're grinning because some <laughs> some I'm stronger in than than others. No, that's um, not why I'm <laughs> grinning. No, no, I was actually grinning in that in that I thought like it was. No, I'm I'm grinning because you, what you're saying is correct. Like you can't tell people someone's the leader. People have to choose that person as a leader. And I'm grinning because, you you know, you obviously went in and you must have realised that. And then, like, I love that you said I went on a journey to to uh, learn the whole business and to prove to each department. Um, and luckily we only have three sales re- uh, sales engagement and, and retention. Um, but 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 uh, to, to prove to those three groups of people that, that work under you that I, I can help them solve problems. I'm not just coming to them to solve my problems. You know, I'm, I, I, I help them and I understand how hard it is to do what they do. And that's, and that's exactly it. And I think, you know, that, that, that kind of, that takes time and, and it takes humility as well. You know, you, you get a bit of a, a punch in the face when you realize like, you're not, you're not all that, you know, and you've got a long way to go. Um, but yeah, I think, I think since then, you know, I've, I've doubled down on, on, on that effort. Um, I think I've brought in a, an amazing team. I mean, I can't speak more highly of my team, but I think I have proved myself as, as a leader now, you know, two years on and, and, you know, you, you want to continuously go on a, on, on a learning, you know, you want to progress and you want to, you want to keep learning and keep getting better. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that lesson where, you know, you've got to, you've got to get across and you've got to get in the trenches and have an understanding of what everything is so that when people have issues, you're the one that they naturally gravitate towards. I think that was the biggest thing that I, that I learned in this journey so far. And, you know, I'm much stronger for it. And, and you know, I, I give you a lot of credit for that as well, because you were never, you, you never beat around the bush with me. You know, it was always kind of like, you know, we, we would have kind of performance reviews or conversations or whatever it was. And if you felt I wasn't delivering what I was capable of delivering or what I should be delivering in that role, you told me straight up. And I think, you know, to credit myself, I think I take those, that, that feedback very well. And when I get that feedback, that's when I double down. And so, yeah. I think that's a good lesson in itself too, to any business owner. It's like, it's important to tell people if you think they could improve or should improve or need to improve on a certain thing. Cause if you don't say it, they don't know because often like it's like even with yourself, sometimes your self-awareness, uh, like it, whoever you are, like your self-awareness isn't the same as someone else looking at you and, and, and assessing you and analyzing you. You know, there's often things that um, that you're doing wrong or not great or people don't like the way you speak. You know, like it's good to hear from other people. But I think as your leader, one of the jobs as any leader has, one of the, one of the jobs jobs is to do as you have with your team is to to help people find those holes and and fill them while not demoralizing them and um, making them feel bad you know what I mean it's it's got to be constructive honest and brought to with some support like you know we can do this I believe you can do this and this is what I think we should do we should work together on doing this this and this yeah Yeah, 100% and I think that that's that's an important point because 
you want the person on the other side, the, peop- the person that you're giving this feedback to, to understand that the reason you're giving the feedback is because you believe in them. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be sitting there giving your time, giving your, your effort and giving your, your, your feedback and your knowledge into somebody that you didn't care about and that you didn't think had the capability to get to a certain point. So yeah, it's interesting. Like as your, as your responsibility grows, you know, as does, as does the pressure, as does the expectation. Um, and I think, you know, either, either you're going to crumble under that expectation or you're not, you know, or it's going to make you stronger. And I, I guess the people that, that can take the pressure and can take the expectation and can grow through it are the A players. Those are the people that you want to progress into leadership roles, into, you know, heads of departments or CEO roles, whatever the fuck it looks like. Um, I think the best judge of like someone doing a good job in leadership is, is are things able to operate when they're not there? And is their team closely bonded and happy? You know, like if, if, if your team is happy, they're all friends, they're bonded, they enjoy being at work, they, you know, they, 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 love, they enjoy their life in terms of their work and hopefully their, their home life. And if, if the leader's not there, that they can continue doing that and functioning. You know, obviously leaders have their particular purpose and roles too, but, but outside of those, if, the, if everything can keep operating for, for short periods of time, if the leader was to, to leave for two weeks, I think that's the best sign of, of leadership. And a healthy team in my opinion, is the sign of a, of a healthy leader. And, and honestly, I think a healthy team is the sign of a, a healthy company financially. You know, that's because that means people are being paid appropriately. It means um, uh, people are hitting goals, so they're feeling a sense of accomplishment and entitlement. When people are happy, that means, you know, everything's good. Everything's good. When, when teams aren't happy and teams aren't blended and pe- teams aren't – and things are – you know, you can look at companies and you can see, like, that team is not – as rock solid as, you know, it should be. It's, it, what did you call it? Like, it's like a bridge that's kind of a bit creaky, you know, you're stepping over it, you're like any second, one of the things, you could fall through one of the things. And so, you know, having a team that's bonded, I think is the, a happy bonded team, I think is the ultimate sign of, of strong leadership. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good point. And, and uh, yeah, you know, as we've kind of touched on, I think it's something that we do very well as a whole. Um, and, and it's about, I think, as, as a leader, you know, in, in that respect, I think it's it's about showing up every day and, and creating that environment for people as well. You know, that's something that I find I focus on a lot in that no matter how I'm feeling, you know, if I'm, if I'm pissed off, if I'm upset, if I'm angry, if I'm not in a good mood, whatever it is, like I'm not going to walk in in the morning and reflect that onto my team. If you do, straight away, that environment goes to shit basically. And if you do that every single day, if you show up, if you create a positive environment, if you create good energy, if you make sure everybody's happy and laughing and you do that every single day and it's consistent, the compounding effect creates an overall great environment. And I think that's what we have. Yeah. Leaders don't have the luxury of mood swings. You you just don't. You don't have the luxury of really emotion a lot of the time because, you know, if you're feeling bad, then everyone's going to be feeling bad. You know, you need to be, if you're feeling too happy all the time, well, that can also be a problem because people get too happy. Oh, they're doing too well. <laughs> like, so maybe, should, maybe we should ask for a raise or maybe <laughs> you can't be too happy. You can't be sad. You've got to just be, you just got to be standard. You're, you're in work zone. I mean, look, there's a lot of people who disagree with me on that. For example, there's that big book everyone loves, Brene Brown, Authentic, whatever. I don't know. Everyone sends me that book. All women send me that book. So I'm obviously not doing something authentic enough or something. But but um, 
what, what's it called, Laura? Authenticity. Yeah, dare oh, to dare lead. To lead. Yeah, yeah. yeah, have you read it? No, it's a great book, apparently. But I, I just, everyone sent it to me, and it's always about being your like an not authentic, being a emotional leader, vulnerable leader. So I think opposite. I think leaders should have zero vulnerability. It should be rock solid. Um, um, but anyway, yeah. I mean, I, I think I think um, I agree in a sense. I think where I like having vulnerability is is where I pinpoint areas that I've made mistakes in the past so that people can then learn from my mistakes. Yeah. I actually, I enjoy sometimes sitting down with my team and saying, you know, I've seen something that you've done. I've done something like that before where I made a mistake and I stuffed something up and this is what I took from it. And, you know, it's almost kind of foreseeing a mistake that they might make through mistakes that you've made. And I, I, I enjoy that. Yeah, but see, I see that as being rock solid. You're so confident. You know, you know you've made mistakes before and you're happy to talk about them, you know, as opposed to being like, yeah, I see that as being rock solid. Yeah, I mean, maybe we should read the book. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should keep Brene a call. We're probably pretty aligned on some things. Anyway, guys, um, uh, today's episode is obviously a, a different one than usual, but I did, I did want to um, jump on to say, you know, I am back. Uh, so thank you, Calvin. But uh, I'm giving you the boot. I'm back. Um, I wanted to explain to everyone why I was gone um, so I wanted to wish everybody a wonderful, uh, I hope you've all had an amazing 2023. I hope you have an amazing break. Um, and, um, and Laura's looking at me funny because I'm supposed to say, and I hope you have a ho great holiday in the next episode. Cause this one's the second last one, but I hope you have a great holiday anyway. Um, and thank you for, uh, um, listening to Calvin while I was gone. <laughs> It's good someone finally does. No, I'm joking. Yeah, I hope it wasn't uh, too tedious of a listen, but no, it was a great opportunity. I really enjoyed it. And yeah, it's great to have you back. And I hope you also learned the lesson, like some of the lessons that, you know, the ways we think about Cub and lessons we've had from Cub, especially in leadership. This was a horrible ending. Should we just keep going to roll through this? Or Anyway, anyway, hope you enjoyed the show.